0: you're listening to How She Creates. I'm your host, Lauren Hooper. This podcast is for the curious, the wanderer and the wonderers, the playful and the joyful. Every week, we are going to explore how to design a life full of creativity and whimsy. Now let's get curious and go explore something. photos with your phone, do they come out a little blurry or crooked or just not quite what you had envisioned and not what you see on Instagram? maybe you think that your phone just can't take good photos or maybe you think you can't take good photos well i promise your phone is not too old and you have the ability to take amazing scroll stopping instagram worthy christmas card worthy mantle frame whatever you want to do with your photos worthy images and you can do it with the phone that you have you don't have to have anything fancy or get anything new to do it Uh, so I want to send you my free five-day email course. Every day for the next five days, you'll get an email that'll take you two to three minutes to read, and I'm going to show you step-by-step in there how to take amazing photos. I'm going to show you tricks for using your phone's native camera settings. Um, The biggest issue that people have when taking bad photos, and it is going to be the first email, and you're going to learn how to fix that. And I'm just going to share some really easy resources and steps for you to do that. So if you want to get that free email course, all you have to do is sign up at lauren-likes.com slash free course, or you can scroll down and see in the show notes. Um, but I want to help you take beautiful photos, and I promise that you can do it with your phone today. So sign up again at lauren-likes.com slash free course. Hi, Kate. Thank you so much for being on How She Creates. How are you today? Lauren, I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited that you're here. When I found your show to dine for, I love the way that you describe yourself as a storyteller, a traveler, a foodie, and those are exactly the things the way that I describe myself also. So oh,
1: great. We're kindred spirits.
0: Exactly. So I was so pumped to have you on the podcast. So will you just do a quick intro to who you are so everyone can get to know you and where they can find you? I would love
1: that. Thank you so much. So my name is Kate Sullivan. I'm the host and creator of a TV show on public television called To Dine For The premise of the show is very simple. We go with the guests to their favorite restaurant, wherever that is in the country, to eat what they love, see where it is that they love, and then let the food in the restaurant be the backdrop for a conversation on what they created. So every guest on the show has brought an idea from inspiration to execution, and we hear how they did it over their favorite meal. That is Perfect. That's exactly what this podcast
0: is about. And if I could host it in person, it would definitely be in a restaurant. <laughs> I just, I love the show. So if you haven't seen to dine for it is on Amazon prime right now, the first two seasons and the third season actually just launched at the beginning of. February, and you can grab that on PBS because I know people are going to want to connect with you and see more about you and watch the show, and we're going to talk about a ton today, but will you just give us an introduction to your creative story? How did you fall in love with storytelling? You can start all the way at the beginning
1: as a child. What were you interested in? Oh, I love that. So, you know, I always kind of knew that storytelling, I didn't know you could make a living at it, right, as a kid, Um, but I was definitely, my strongest skill set, I think, was writing, and I loved writing, I loved English class, and, you know, as it progressed, I went on to college, and um, I think I, I was trying to do what would make my parents happy, you know, we always have, like, societal pressure, our parents' pressure, what they want us to do, and I think, you know, going to college, I, I thought, you know, using my writing skills and becoming a lawyer made the most sense, right? It was the idea of success. And as I, um, I actually took the LSAT, got into law school, and um, my senior year of college, I had a little bit of a panic attack. And I thought to myself, I don't even like to argue. Why, why the heck am I going to go to law school and spend three years of my life racking up debt? to do a job I don't want to do. And so um, it was my senior year of uh, college that I went down to the local TV station to get an internship and and started interning at a local television station to become a television reporter. And um, after that, Experience. I really made kind of a bold decision to forego law school and become a local TV reporter. And if you know anything about the business, it is certainly not the way to make money. I mean, you start off at the very bottom of the rung and you uh, make very little money. I was working, I was living in Mishawaka, Indiana, working three jobs, waiting tables, working at a clothing store in the mall. And then also, I was the main reporter in the evenings. Um, You know, you'd see me on the 11 o'clock news on the tollway reporting on the traffic accident. So it was a very long um, and sort of difficult journey. But I, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have in any other way because I really learned the basics of storytelling um, as I worked my way through small, medium and and large TV markets. That was the bulk of my career. I started in Indiana. Then I got a promotion to go to Arkansas and, and worked as a reporter and then as an anchor there. And then I anchored the morning news in New York City and anchor the evening news in Chicago. So my, the bulk of my career has been in storytelling, but in a very specific format, and that is television news. Anyone out there who's in writing or storytelling knows there are so many ways your creative journey of storytelling can look like. You could be an author, you could work in, uh, Public relations. You could work for a production company. You could do uh, something digitally. You could do, you could write stories online. I think it's fascinating. You know, storyteller is a big umbrella, and a lot of people fall under that. But it's so fascinating to me here to hear how different people, with that same desire to tell great stories, manifest themselves. Do you know what I mean, Lauren? Yes, absolutely. And that
0: is one thing I really try and stress on the podcast is that we are all living a creative life. We're all storytellers, but in our own way.
1: Yes, exactly. And it can look so different. And so it's always nice to hear the stories of other creatives and see the connective tissue uh, because there is a commonality between you and I and so many people that are listening right now um, with their journey. Even though you you did not go into television news and, and you know, haven't done this track, um, there's something to be learned, you know?
0: Exactly. And that's really one thing I want to talk with you about today is being a storyteller and how we can use the skills that you have learned and and crafted in our everyday lives, in Mm. our format of storytelling. Mm. So what your creative process is like when you maybe how you find an idea, how you develop it, how you bring it onto the screen.
1: Mm. Oh, that's great. Well, so, um, and do you mean this in like a general sense or do you mean this specific to the show? Um, well, we can talk about the show. Yeah, that'll be fun. Okay. So for me, you know, this show is, is absolutely driven by the quality of the guests and, um, the, the guests that you'll see on to dine for range from very famous people like Jessica Alba, The Hollywood actress who created the Honest Company to Howard Schultz, who really architected the brand of Starbucks and became one of the most visionary CEOs in our country, to people that you might not have heard of, like Kavita Shukla, who created um, and invented fresh paper, which is a single piece of paper that prolongs the use of produce. You put it under strawberries, and they they don't um, they keep longer than if you didn't have this fresh paper. So everyone has the one commonality, and that is they have really created something on their own. So in addition to this creative venture of creating this TV show, I'm really looking at creativity through the lens of business and art and everyone on the show is truly creative, even if they don't have a quote unquote creative career. Right. So, um, you know, whether they themselves are a movie director like M. Night Shyamalan, that's obviously a creative uh, venture. But we interview Mark Cuban, who is on the Shark Tank and is a owner of the Dallas Mavericks and is a serial entrepreneur. You know, he employs creativity every day. So I'm really um, inspired first and foremost by finding guests that really have a story to tell. So I'm constantly uh, doing a lot of reading, um, writing down ideas. And I'm really thinking who would be the best person um, in the format of this show. And then the second, secondary, I don't really think about the restaurant because it's the guest choice, right? The guest chooses the restaurant. It's their favorite restaurant. And when someone sits down to their favorite meal, they come alive. And I, kn- I know it was a hunch when I started the show. And now I know it to be true because I've seen it over and over again. And, um, so I'm always the element of surprise is where they, cho- where they choose. I, um, have no, uh, say and I have, and, and I love it that way. You know, i really, I, I honor their request. Mark Cuban chose IHOP and I said, let's go. Um, Daniel Lebetsky, who created Kind Bars, he chose Gramercy Tavern in New York City. I, one of the greatest restaurants in New York. I said, let's go. Um, it's not as important where as as it is why the person chose that place. It's very important to understand, um, why they chose it. Is it, is it a reason that helps to explain who they are? And so we kind of go from there. That's how the creative process starts for me.
0: Oh, that is so interesting. And you're just putting so much into their hands and up to fate, you know?
1: Yes, I am. You're right.
0: Yeah. And so that's, that's so cool. And I haven't seen an episode yet where you've been to a boring restaurant, you no. know? And I think that's so interesting about these people are immersing themselves in this really interesting food and in these really beautiful, thoughtful, well-designed restaurants that are full of, you know, visual in- inspiration around you. Even even IHOP is an amazing place to people watch because people it from is.
1: all walks of life go there. Yeah, um, it really is. And they're all franchise owned. They're the story of the American dream too. Um, it's an affordable restaurant that, you know, accessible to everyone. You know, the average check's like $11. So yeah, you know, it's not about doing uh, a show about fancy restaurants. Although many of the restaurants that, you know, we dine... In our Michelin star James Beard award winning restaurants, um, it is really a toast to the hospitality industry across the board in in many different ways. Because a restaurant can leave an impact on the guest, um, whether they are, you know, the check is $11 or much, much higher. Uh, It's about how people make you feel, it's about the quality of the food and really the ambiance, the experience, you know, the character of the place.
0: That is one of my favorite things that I love about traveling is just getting to experience new things like that. And it's so cool that you get to do that in To Dine For. Can you tell us the story of how it came about? Where did you get this idea?
1: Mm -hmm. Well, I guess it comes from, you know, my many years interviewing people in all different scenarios and really finding a way to make them feel comfortable. That's why I chose Restaurants people say, is this a food show? And I'm like, well, we do see a lot of cool food and we eat a lot of cool food, but it's definitely not a food show. It's a show about um, dreamers and creators and visionaries and hearing their story of success. And we do it over food. Um, You know, it was me asking myself, what what kind of show do I want to create? And what kind of stories do I want to tell? And the answer was very clear to me. It was the story of the Howard Schultzes of the world who. through their own hard work and grit and resilience, have been able to create something of great value. And they have a vision bigger themselves, uh, bigger than themselves. I think that's really important. These aren't people who've just created things. The ripple effects of what they've created have helped society. Um, They have impacted people in various ways. And it's that amazing alchemy between uh, not just creating something, but really having it uh, make a difference.
0: Yeah. And I love that you also do a little secondary mini interview
1: in there with the restaurant owner or the chef to share their story too. Yeah. I always say with To Dine For, you get two American dream stories. You get the story Mm -hmm. of the guest, but you get the story of the restaurant because the stories of restaurants are the American dream. Mm -hmm. Um, It's the only industry where you you know, regardless of your education or where you came from or uh, where you are in the world, through hard work, you can build a successful restaurant. And And these stories are proof of that. And And to have the the restaurant owner or the chef tell the story is, is really one of my favorite parts.
0: And I think that's so important that we're recognizing those stories, that everyone has that story in them. Now, I have to ask, because it's, you know, COVID era were you able to film this season before COVID hit or were, was it the middle of COVID that you were recording? And, and what was that
1: process like? Yeah, this this season was really, really hard. Um, we kind of made a decision. We said, do we want to continue doing this in the middle of COVID? And um, it the, it's so funny, like this past year at every month changed. Do you remember when it hit in March? By June or July, we kind of felt like oh, maybe we're coming out of this and maybe we'll be through this by September. There was that right at the end of right going into the summer. So at that juncture, uh, you know, if it had been any other time, I don't think season three would have happened. At that time, we made the decision to move forward with the show and we decided to change all of our protocols. You know, we would shoot in empty restaurants. We would shoot socially distanced. We would be masked, uh, obviously only shoot. Um, in states that were open, where restaurants were open. So we proceeded with caution and um, were able to get a bulk of the show done. And then you know the fall hit and it started to get bad. And so we had to really um, cancel a lot of shoots, reschedule a lot of shoots and only shoot in states that were open and uh, would have us. For the first time ever, we shot outdoors because a couple of the uh, episodes were only open for outdoor dining. So we shot outdoors in restaurants, which actually um, even though it was a more difficult production-wise, it didn't change the, the the flavor or the quality of the show at all. Restaurants were thrilled to have us. They need publicity. They need um, their stories told now more than ever, as so many of them are struggling. And so we did. It was a very difficult venture. Um, I don't know if I could do it again, but yes, yeah, season three is complete, and uh, we we got through it. I think what's important with this season is, you know, last year was excruciatingly difficult for so many people in so many different ways, and the guests were not immune. You know, one of our guests in this season is Pyle Kadakia, who created ClassPass, which um, allows you to book fitness classes online, sort of like Open Table, but for dance and fitness classes. Well, when the pandemic hit, 95% of the studios closed and her company, which had a billion dollar valuation, you know, was in peril. So to talk to her about that and talk to her about that experience um, was, you know, very similar to talking to Mel Robbins, who's an internationally known speaker, who was uh, hosting a television show through CBS that was canceled. You know, like a lot of people took big, big hits last year, big hits, and to be able to talk to them about what is that like and going through difficulty and rejection, um, for me, made the show richer and it made it more valuable because we have all experienced big hits last year.
0: Yeah, it seems like this season's theme is resiliency. And, yes,
1: exactly for all uh, of us.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I'm yeah I'm very in- intrigued now. It's interesting when I'm watching movies and I'm like, why aren't they wearing masks? Um, right. So it's it'll be interesting in the next few years to see mask and things on TV yes. as they're representative of this time. So yep.
1: you'll see and if you watch the show, like we're masked, we greet the guest outside the restaurant every every time. So we're masked when we uh, greet the guest with an elbow bump. And then we walk in together and uh, we take the masks off for the meal. But then as soon as the meal's done, we put them right back on. So it's very much the same as if you were um, in a city that I had indoor dining and you were going out to eat. It's the exact same protocol. Um, and then our crew remains masked the entire time. They never take a mask off and they're socially distanced. So yeah, it, it was very, very difficult proposition. I will say that.
0: Well, I'm glad you guys figured it out and mm-hmm. made it. So let's talk about storytelling. So a lot of my listeners are creatives themselves. They want to tell the story of their life, of their family, their interests, their hobbies. Um, and, you know, we've kind of figured out ways to take selfies and write about our top 10 favorite list, but we want to include the stories of other people. And it's harder to draw those stories out of our family members or our friends. What? What kind of tricks do you use? What tips do you employ to get your guests to open up and tell their story that we can all use to help our family help us tell their stories better?
1: Mm, That's a great question. You know, for me, um, I'm dealing with uh, you know when I interview some of these guests, they're they've been interviewed many times. So how they how to conduct an interview with someone who's really well known, who's done, who's told their story many times is a little bit different than interviewing someone who maybe has never been interviewed. Like, as you said, a family member. If you're trying to get a family member or someone who, first of all, a person who hasn't had any media training or hasn't been interviewed, I think is far easier in some ways to interview. Because they don't have, they don't filter things through what sounds good or what they should say. They really tell you the truth. And that's the kind of interview you want to do. You always want to try to come from a place of authenticity. Um, and I think leading with curiosity and authenticity is the way to go in any interview. I think your the answers are always equivalent to the quality of the questions. So you want to really think about what questions you're going to ask. And sometimes you want to start with some obviously some you always want to start with some easy questions at the beginning that people feel comfortable answering. You don't want to start with the hardest question because then it'll go. You're trying to get establish a flow, but you want to really think about um, how and why, what and why you're the questions you're asking. They need to be um, they need to be pointed and they need to be thoughtful and in some ways they need to be strategic. That's why uh, question, it all starts with a great question, right? Um, and then you have to be, this is the number one piece of advice I can give anyone who wants to do a quality interview. And it does take some time um, to learn how to do this. And that, and it sounds so simple, but you really need to listen to what the person's saying. So, so often we have a list of questions and we are trying to get through them and we're whatever the person says is immaterial. We just try to get to the next question. That's absolutely not how you want to do an interview. You want to ask a question, but then have enough curiosity to listen to the answer and then form your next question based on what that person just said. So you want to let their answers lead the interview. You want to have, so you're, you're like, wait a minute, Kate, you said, to have a list of questions. Well, yes, you want to have a list of questions, but you want to let the interviewees' answers dictate the rest of the interview. So they're sort of leading it um, because very often they'll say something, but they won't explain the why behind it. So you really need to dig a little deeper with some of their answers. Um, people are, for the most part, are guarded. So you need to ask something. That really gets to the heart of what they're trying to say. I hope that's helpful.
0: That's incredibly helpful. And I think about, you know, wanting to interview my grandparents and learning, you know, more about their life because they're such a mystery, you know, grandparents having a life before, you know, they just like bought you beanie babies and, you know, took <laughs> you to the zoo is... Is, you know, not something you think about as a kid, but as I've become an adult and wanting to hear their stories of what their life was like and what, you know, life was just like 60, 70, 80, 90 years ago um, and trying and being patient you know, to get those stories out of them and record that family history. That's what I hear so many people talk about is they just don't know a lot of family history. Um, and if we had those skills of sitting back and listening and asking those good questions, we could know so much more about our own family. I really
1: love this. I think, uh, first of all, I think it's such a beautiful thing to do. I think you'd be surprised at how much our grandparents want to tell us and want to talk and are looking, they're almost, um, Begging for us to ask those questions. They're they're hungry to share their history, and and a lot of people don't share unless they're asked. You know, some people are talkers, right? And they'll just tell you the whole story. But many people aren't, and you really do, you know, the right question unlocks unlocks something. So you think I have to think of a question like as unlocking information, and um, I would as they're telling stories. You know, it's always good to ask, how did, how did you feel at that moment? You know, why did you, why did you do it that way? Why didn't you do it this way? You know, um, to really kind of question them, not in a, not in a, you know, (laughs) this is not, you know, this isn't the FBI, right? (laughs) So you want it to be fun and, but you want to really dig because those, those answers to the question of why are always the most interesting.
0: Yeah, and then the important thing is writing them
1: down, and you know, saving them somewhere. We or recording we... them on your iPhone. I mean, that's the beauty now. Everyone can, everyone has at their fingertips, um, the video function on the, or a voice memo on their phone. You know, if you can't write it down, do the voice. Um, if you look, turn around, turn over your iPhone. There's a voice memo where you can record their audio and then write it down later. So there's a lot of tricks to to, to kind of savoring that and and keeping it in in good form so you can can write it down later.
0: Oh, that is so so smart. Um thank you for those tips. I think people are really going to to enjoy those and I hope it encourages people to get out and try and tell some more of the stories that they want to be telling. Um now Back to the show. One thing I love is how creative everyone on the show is, whether Mm -hmm. like you said, they're running a coffee shop or, um, you know, they are creating, writing a book. Um, what commonality what skill or trait do you see in these people that they have that's made them so successful in their creative endeavors
1: sure there's a couple of things i could literally write a book on the connective tissue between all of these guests because they all have created something on their own um i think the number one thing i would say actually two things and i don't just for the, for the purpose of time i don't want to go on and on because this is a question i'm actually really um I love. The first thing is passion. There's not a single person that I've interviewed on the show who doesn't come from a place of deep, deep, exploding passion for what they're doing, what they're talking about, and what they're building. It you have to love it. You have to like insanely love it in order to make anything happen. If you feel lukewarm about something or you're like I like it, but I don't love it, it's never going to be anything great. It really isn't. You've got to f- identify something that really lights you up, that, that, that really um, sets you on fire. Um, I think of, there's a quote by Howard Schultz that said, you know, a relentless amount of passion got us here. Um, it is True. It is whether you're artist Ashley Longshore down in New Orleans, who is just this just fireball of color and passion and excitement, or whether you are Kevin Kwan, who wrote Crazy Rich Asians, or whether you're Norman Lear, who is one of the greatest um, television producers and directors of our time. It comes from a place of love and passion. So that would be the first thing. And then the second is you have got to be able to be persistent in the face of extreme rejection. Um, I think I've noticed this with creating to dine for and just having an idea myself and trying to bring it to life. Um, When when you have a great idea, especially one that you love and, and and you put it up against a test, whether that's you put it in front of a studio executive or you put it in front of a production company to get feedback, and the answer is a flat no or a harsh no, it's very easy to get discouraged. And and to maybe even doubt yourself that your idea isn't that great. You know, Um, who am I to think of this? You know, who am I to do this? It is the people who are willing to take no after no after no and keep going, refining their idea and pushing forward are the ones that make things happen in this world. And that is a skill. And that takes, again, it goes back to the passion But it also is something I think that can be developed. I think it's really important to know that everyone gets rejection and everyone gets no's. Somehow that makes it easier to to deal with when you yourself get a no, to realize that this happens to Howard Schultz, who got 242 rejections um, before he got any money to build Starbucks. Uh, this happens to Sarah Blakely of Spanx who, uh, everyone laughed at her idea and thought that she was just making Spanx for Christmas gifts and couldn't believe that she actually was going to make it into a business. I mean, everyone gets told no, um, especially people who have great ideas and somehow hearing that that happens to everyone makes it easier when it happens to you. So I would say those two things, passion and then absolute steadfast persistence.
0: I think that's one thing I love so much about the show is these are regular people who had an idea and went after it relentlessly. Yes. And it it is so, so relatable. Um, and just so kind of countercultural and different, especially when we see things on social media or we just see Starbucks and it's just so, you know, big and fancy, we forget that it was just a guy, you know, I loved his story of his father-in-law
1: sat him down and was like, you need to get a real job. Um, exactly. (laughs) I mean, this is one of the most powerful companies in the world. And he once had an, an experience where his father-in-law you know, was really worried that this wasn't going to turn into anything, you know, and now it's, you know, 70,000 stores around the world and one of the biggest brands, you know, it does just take one person and one person's idea. So yes, I agree with you.
0: Yeah, the show is just so fun. So I hope people are um, getting excited to go see some episodes. And before we go, we have to talk food. I mean, the show is called To Dine For. So tell me, (laughs) what is your favorite meal that you've ever had?
1: Yeah, you mean on the show or just in general? (laughs) Oh, just in general. Okay, well, gosh, I'm, you know... I, just like the show, really could run the gamut. I love a great cheeseburger. I love a great bowl of cacio e pepe, which is literally just Parmesan cheese, pasta, and pepper, um, and a little bit of cream. Uh, I love sushi. I love uh, Chinese food. I mean, I could go on and on. I love food. That's where this the idea started because I truly am a foodie. This isn't, you know, I, I really... Be, am obsessed with restaurants, trying new restaurants, trying new food. Um, on the show, I've really run the gamut from like a very healthy, um, episode one of season three is with Jay Shetty, who is a, A mind, body, spirit, mental health expert. And he takes me to this place called Fresh on Sunset for a goddess bowl with like broccoli and grains. And it is delicious, but feels very healthy. (laughs) Um, And then, you know, I went to New Orleans with uh, artist Ashley Longshore and had this amazing uh, fusion Indian restaurant called Saffron Nola with this chicken biryani and uh, these uh, grilled oysters and just uh, just lamb chops and just like this super delicious, uh, beautiful meal. So, you know, I could literally talk about, I'm from Boston. I'm a huge fan of a a lobster roll and clam chowder, clam chowder as, as I used to say when I grew up. So, you know, um, I lived in Arkansas. I love soul food. Um, used to go to this restaurant called your mama's that had like chicken fried chicken with creamed corn and mashed potatoes and a yeast roll and buttered carrots. And, um, yeah, we can, talk. <laughs> how long do you have Lauren? Because we can really talk food. I know that's
0: when I travel, that's when the first things I research is where to eat. Yes. So one day I believe we will travel again and we will go eat places again. I know. What, what do you have any insider tips for finding good places to go eat when you're traveling?
1: Yes. So, um, I would definitely ask locals, sometimes asking a hotel concierge, they're going to send you, they have like a business deal with some restaurants nearby. So I always hesitate there. I mean, you could, it's always the hotel staff's always a good place to start, but I really prefer like talking to your cab driver. You know, where would you go if you only had like one place to eat or, you know, talking to someone on a train I'm all, you really got to chat people up. Um, I think guidebooks are great. Um, doing research online, kind of seeing what are their common themes, um, following travel experts. Uh, I just started following this travel babo. He's he travels around the world and he has great food recommendations. Um, but yeah, always trying to eat locally someplace nearby, someplace like a hole in the wall, that's always the best spot. Because really, I, I agree with you, food is the language of culture. And it's the best way to experience a new city.
0: Yes, we were in Iceland, and a little girl was selling lemonade on the corner. And we asked her mom where we should eat. And she told us about this little hole in the wall restaurant down by the docks. And they served well. Don't don't at me, you guys. I was in Iceland.
1: <laughs> um, and <laughs> when in Iceland, do as the Icelandics. Yes. yes.
0: Yes. And it was just the whole meal. We ended up going back because it was just so incredible. Um, And that, yeah, those are those are some of our most memorable moments of traveling is eating at places I could have never found online.
1: Well, and also I think too, just like you and I talking, uh, establishing uh, you know a good network of friends who also love to eat. Um, Some people really don't care about eating, and they will literally just go anywhere and don't even give any thought to it, right? So those aren't my people, and that's okay. If those that's who you are, that's fine. But like, if you have a friend like you, Lauren, you know, if if I'm going to Iceland, I'm going to send you a note and say, hey, because I keep notes on where I eat, and I definitely remember places. So like, if someone wanted to you know, you know, so someone's friends with me, I get notes from friends all the time. Where should I eat in New York? You know, where should I eat in Chicago? Um, because I do have the answers, you know, and I do have some great recommendations. So always like just g- keeping tabs with your foodie friends and kind of sharing notes, I think is a really good way too.
0: Yes. I love to be the food concierge. It's one of my <laughs> favorite things. And I always tell people, I'm like, let me take you to this restaurant and let me order for you. That's the most important part. Yes. Yes, exactly. Oh, awesome. Thank you. Okay. So I'm going to do a lightning round of some quick questions for oh, you. Oh, great. Okay. All right. What is your biggest creative success? To dine for. Oh, good answer.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What is your biggest creative struggle?
1: Mm. Mm. Uh, I think it's not a creative struggle as much as like, you know, finding funding for the program. I, I not mm. only do I create the show, but I'm also... Part of the team that finds funding for the show and so it's kind of like that old adage everyone loves show business but no one loves the business aspect of show business so i would say mm-hmm. the business part oh i understand that for sure um
0: what have you been learning creatively lately
1: hmm. well i've been make- making bread i don't know if this counts but um mm-hmm. since the pandemic hit i've really taken up two vices one is bread making and the other is bourbon drinking, <laughs> and so I've been, <laughs> I've been researching different bourbons, and I've been making different like old fashions, uh, different bourbon drinks, and then I've also making a lot of bread. So they're both creative in my mind. That's the perfect answer because my next question is, what does living a creative lifestyle look like for you? Oh, that's a great, great question. You know, I think. When you get into the nitty gritty of a business of creating, like actually making money from creating, it's different than just having a hobby that allows you to paint or to sculpt or to do something creative. I think being creative with no strings attached is is a wonderful way to be. So if you're listening to this and you, you do something creative, but you don't make any money at it, know that you are in a wonderful space, in a wonderful place because it's feeding you in a different way. Um, you may not be be making money from it, but you are receiving an income and an income, meaning, uh, it's satisfying if it's satisfying and you're loving it, then that's good. Um, I think sometimes when you're making money off a creative, uh, outlet, like, like to dine for is it, your mind goes to the other side of the brain. You've got to think about finances and accounting and production. And, um, it takes away a little bit of the fun of, of the creative process, So I think living a creative life is trying and fighting and keeping your dream alive and trying to always stay creatively inspired and staying in a place of inspiration. So you can do that whether you're a teacher who just has a garden out back or whether you're uh, an accountant, but you paint on the side. Just trying to find a place of inspiration and and happiness and kind of letting that doing whatever it takes to keep that, that sense of inspiration alive.
0: Ah, Yes. Amen. That is mm, so good. Mm -hmm. And what is your favorite resource for creativity? Where do you go when you need inspiration?
1: Mm. I like to, we can't do it now, but travel change Mm. of location and change of place for me. Is very inspiring. Sometimes it means getting in my car and going to a different neighborhood in Chicago and walking around, seeing things I've never seen, going to a restaurant. Um, definitely the act of traveling somewhere gives me the greatest source of inspiration and ideas. I think best on an airplane, is what I say. I always write things down on an airplane. Um, but I mean, you can find inspiration anywhere, you know, with, with, you know, even on Instagram, looking at different pictures and images. But for me, I think what really fuels my creative inspiration is to physically change locations.
0: Me too. Mm -hmm. And I, I am definitely struggling with that right now. Yeah. Oh, Kate, this was such a fun conversation. I learned so much. Thank you so, so much for being here and for sharing about your life and your creativity and to dine for with us. Lauren,
1: I've enjoyed it so much. Thank you so much.
0: This has been awesome. So everyone's going to go watch to dine for it's on Amazon prime and on PBS. It is their short bingeable episodes that are incredibly inspiring and they're going to make you really hungry. Um, (laughs) Kate, thank you so much. We're going to have links to Kate and everywhere that you can find her in the show notes at lauren-likes.com slash podcast. You can get everything you need there as always. Thank you so much for being here, Kate. And you guys have a really crafty
1: day. Thank you. Stay inspired, Lauren. Appreciate it.
0: Thank you so much for listening to How She Creates. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to know more about the show, please visit lauren-likes.com podcast and be sure to sign up for the newsletter to know when new episodes are out and to stay up to date with all of the crafty, creative happenings around here. If you would take a moment to leave a rating and review on iTunes, that would be so helpful to let me know what you thought of the show and share with all your friends on Instagram by tagging me at Lauren Likes Blog and using the hashtag HowSheCreates. Until next week, I hope you get curious and go explore something.